When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another episode of Jamming with Jason. Hey, you know, I don't know if you're like me, but, uh, you know, there, there was a movie a while ago called Horrible Bosses. And I just love that movie. It's a little over the top, obviously, but I'm sure if you're like most people, you've probably worked for Horrible Bosses before, right? And we've talked about this before on the podcast and some of the other places. Well, Today, I'm excited to be talking with Mark Robinson, because we're going to talk about not just horrible bosses, but sometimes, right, people are shitty leaders. <laughs> so we're going to talk about that and, you know, a couple things for you to think about again. I mean, you never know where the podcast is going to go, but the fact that you're listening today means there's something in today's episode that you need to learn, right? Because you might be working for somebody like this. Or you might even be one of those people (laughs) to the people you work with. So whatever you do, listen to this entire episode and make sure and share it with your friends and family as well. And with that, we are going to roll that episode. You are jamming with Jason Mefford, where you hear inspiring interviews with some amazing people. Some are famous, some may seem ordinary, and they are all doing extraordinary things to positively change the world. Sometimes it's just you and me having an intimate and authentic conversation about how you can change the world around you and rewrite the story of your life by being more authentic, accepting and loving yourself more and spreading love to others. Since really all you need is love and what the world needs now is love, sweet love. We discuss all aspects of self-improvement, growth, and so much more. Great content, insightful advice that's practical and helpful to anyone that listens. You're always eager to come back for more and share with your friends and family since you learn something in every episode. So sit back and enjoy the easy listening while you feel seen and heard in this informative, authentic and entertaining podcast now let's roll that beautiful podcast footage hey mark how are you doing man i'm awesome how you doing i i am great i'm excited this is this is one of these episodes that um you know, I, we've been connected on LinkedIn for a while and we were, we were doing some outreach messages and somebody on my team is like, you got to have this guy on the podcast. And I went out and looked, I'm like, oh yeah, I got to have him on the podcast. So, so welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, you. you know, I know we, we talked before and I'm, I'm excited about the work that you're doing and, and kind of some of the different ways that you attack some of the same things that I talk about too. But sure. I, I always find it helpful because different people resonate with different people. And so, you know, excited to have you on here. So maybe if you want to just, just take, you know, 30 seconds to kind of 
introduce yourself to everybody how how you'd like to be introduced and then we're going to jump in because we got a lot to talk <laughs> to talk about here yes we do well i'm the shitty leadership coach so that pretty much says it all for me to you know <laughs> talk about myself in 30 seconds or less that's a feed on that's what it is and that's who that's you help it. right yeah. it does so basically um you know i've been a coach for a number of years uh, my background is in call centers so i started many many years ago um within the contact center world, coaching, guiding, mentoring, trying to motivate people as best as I can who have a really tough job of having to get yelled at for eight hours a day, pretty much. Mm -hmm. And so that just sort of resonated from there and then moved into all these different areas. I moved up to VP and then I was a consultant for a number of years. And so I've toured hundreds, if not thousands of customer service environments across the planet. And it was pretty evident to me that shitty leaders was a thing. And so I'll leave it there for now, and then we can get into that in a bit. We can get that in, into that more as we uh, progress this uh, this puppy along. Well, yeah, and it's interesting. So you know, you kind of grew up in that call center environment, and I know that it's a tough environment to work be. in Absolutely. because, like you said, I mean, you know, these people are on the phone all day. They're not the person usually the person on the other side of the phone wants to talk to, no. right? Because they're they're selling them something or there's usually some issue, billing issues, something else, right? Uh, maybe they're not paying their bill. Mm -hmm. Something is going on, right? So it's not necessarily the person you want to talk to, but it's also a very metric driven industry as well. Right? Yeah. There's a lot of hypocrisy in call centers because it's chicken and egg, right? So take this many calls, but offer the best service, but do it in this amount of time. And so it's very contradictory for somebody who's new. It's very contradictory for somebody who can be a little more sensitive, um, who doesn't take to those environments well. Now, not every call center is cutthroat, and not every call center is like that. But the general gist or the general perception is that you know it's a sweatshop, it's a numbers game. Um, you know, they're not necessarily known for supportive, guiding, mentoring, inspiring leadership. So the whole concept of shitty leadership and where it all sort of came out for me is that. It wasn't until years after I started this research and I started my own, you know, self-published books that I realized I was one. And so I declare publicly to your listeners and to every webinar and every in-person training session I do that, you know, I know what I'm talking about because I used to be a shitty leader. Yeah. And I, think might argue I... I still am. Some might argue I still am. <laughs> that's a different conversation for a different show, but that's fine. Because yeah, well, and, and... their opinion. <laughs> and we're, we're all we're, we all make mistakes right even even as we're trying to improve ourselves, obviously we have better days than other days but but that's an important point i think to 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 kind of jump into maybe first is like you said you know you you realize maybe you were you were a shitty leader too right and and i think that that's that's one of the toughest things it seems like for a lot of people that, that I talked yeah. to is actually having that epiphany yes. and realizing that you're the, you're the problem. Right. Cause I, cause I always tell people like when I, when I'm coaching people, I'm like, yeah, point your finger at me. Right. So you point your finger at somebody and then you go, hold it. There's three coming back at you. Right. Just and how much of the time <laughs> we're, when we're projecting, when we're, you know, oh, judging right. somebody else, it's really us most of the time who ends up ends up being the problem, right? I mean, how do, how do you kind of help people or how did you have the courage to kind of realize that it was you that needed to change? So there was a series of events that happened in the mid, you know, 2010s to 2016s, somewhere around there, 
where I was consulting for a number of companies around the world. And I was hitting roadblock after roadblock after roadblock and only being able to take things so far as a consultant, because everything that I would do, whether it was cultural change, I'd get hired to change culture. I'd get hired to do development of certain level of staff in a leadership role, or I would be hired to do a certain project, new system, learning and development, whatever. And as I started developing my own methodology that I would brand as my coaching mantra, seven steps, and uh, it's highly, highly classified, by the way. <laughs> yeah, we can't talk about that on here. No, right? no, no, no. But you've got I'll several share. books people can get. Maybe it. I'll share a little bit. Maybe I'll share a little bit. <laughs> and um, we, uh, I found that um, the first step of the seven step sort of mantra was active leadership. And active leadership I, I developed as um, self-awareness, leadership brand, and effective feedback delivery. Those are the first three. So that's my sort of leadership development shtick that I do when I get hired by companies and I sort of go through each process and all that stuff. And we got stuck on the self-awareness piece because what I was realizing is that when you look at culture, when you look at employee apathy, when you look at engage, when you look at environments that were call centers and companies, it wasn't just contact centers, but I would look at companies and I would go in and I'd do a two, three week assessment. The companies that got it, the companies who had a really solid culture, their leaders emulated their corporate values perfectly. And they held people accountable to do the same. On the same time, they were very receptive to managed up feedback. There was open door policies that weren't lip service. There were camaraderie that I hadn't seen in a lot of environments. And so I started to make this connection that self-aware environments of the leaders who got it they also treated their staff as individuals. And so getting to see one-on-ones and getting to see how coaching was done, you know, if so-and-so needed this approach where so-and-so needed that approach, they could have 20 direct reports and there could be 20 different ways that they approached their staff. So they customized the leadership, they customized their approach. They were effective at communicating. So the summary of this was that in 2013, after having a, an interesting experience with a consulting company, I went home and made a decision that I was gonna move on to something new, it was time to move on. And I turned the TV on and my cat jumped up on the couch and hit the remote. And at that time, my cat turned the channel to PBS, which I would watch sometimes. And Deepak Chopra was talking about right versus kind. Mm. And that was the catalyst that changed everything. So all of my past experience, um, all of the research I'd done in going into different companies, all of this stuff, 25 years of leadership on my own running development, it all came down to this choice of right versus kind. And that changed everything. And from there, my books were born and the methodology came to fruition and things changed. So lots to go into on that, but ultimately, Shitty leaders are a byproduct of cultures that don't get it. There's no communication. It's a bully. It's a shame and blame environment. Companies that do get it, active leadership, they support, they don't point fingers, they listen, they have great communication. There's an individualized approach. That's what I have found. And so I've taken that premise and I have built the shit out of it. Mm -hmm. Well, and I love that you went there because I, you know, there's obviously several things to dig in 
onto this, right? But <clears throat> I know when we talked before, there's kind of a disclaimer that we should make here too, right? At the, yes. at the, so, so let's make the disclaimer here. All right. So and I then I want to, I, I want to kind of dig into some of the deeper, yeah. the deeper stuff here too, because what I heard you say too, right, is shitty leaders are a product of bad culture, right? Yeah. So, you know, I heard you say before, shitty leaders are not shitty people, right? And and we have to distinguish. So maybe just kind of explain. Yeah. Kind of that 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 disclaimer and, and what that really means, because I think sometimes we we tend to to look at people who do things that we don't like and we think they're a bad person or they're, right. a, you know, something like that, that we need to kind of step back and realize, well, they're just a product of their environment. Well, we don't see the world as it is. We all see the world through our own lens. And so yep. we see the world based on our values, our beliefs. Um, and it's really hard to help people understand that sometimes because it can be a challenge and so there are people who emphatically believe they're right there are people who emphatically believe they are always right and don't try to tell them otherwise and so you said it perfectly shitty leaders are not shitty people and that is my 100 disclaimer that is at the beginning of everything i do and say because i want to incite people i want to get a reaction about saying shitty leadership and it's really funny because when i was writing book one and came up with the tagline. So it's the shitty leaders, uh, a how-to guide for shitty leaders to become less shitty through active leadership. I was about six months of planning and I was traveling. I was in four different countries. I chatted with anybody, I made a phone case and I had the cover of the book. So just to show people, here's a shameless plug. So it's a how-to guide for shitty leaders to become less shitty through active leadership. Yep. So all I did was ask people, hey, what do you think of this? And three things happened. One was, oh my God, I love that. I need a copy of that book for my current boss. Or I need a copy of my, I need a copy of that book for all of my past bosses, or I need a copy of that book for everyone in the world that I've ever come across. It was that kind of stuff. Right? But they never needed it for themselves, right? Exactly. That's the yeah. point. So no one person of those 500 people over six months, four countries, all walks of life. Not one person said, oh, maybe I need a copy of that for me. Let that resonate for a minute. So everyone, everyone could, without any context, without me giving, I never said anything about, well, this is what shitty leadership is. I said nothing. I just asked, what do you think of this? And everyone had an instant answer to a shitty leadership example that was external to themselves. So everyone could identify with shitty leadership. Then, <laughs> in my wicked ways, I... I, I turned the question on its head. And so I did the same thing, said, hey, what do you think of this? And then I said, so tell me about a time when you would, might have demonstrated those behaviors. And again, three things happened. One was a look of, with death rays, um, colorful language, go away, you're fired, get away from me. Um, and I think one or two people actually stopped and said, oh, maybe I need to think about that. So nobody wants to admit they're a shitty leader. I get that. I don't certainly, I, you know, for me to sit here and say, everyone in the world is a shitty leader, that I'm no better than a shitty leader, because now I'm just blaming and shaming everybody. But the fact remains is that there are more shitty leaders working today than there are not shitty leaders. And that's just a fact. Um, so really, the question, I guess, to your listeners is, do you have the courage to lean into that discomfort and say, maybe that's something I need to explore? Because you can't change anything unless you recognize it and then you own it. So am I the messenger that, you know, don't shoot the messenger, but I'm helping people to become more aware 
of looking inside and saying, maybe there's some things I need to change. Because I'll end it on this, the higher up you go, guarantee you, the more shitty the leadership is and those behaviors that are demonstrated and the less opportunity there is for anyone to give feedback. Yeah, because nobody, nobody's willing to say anything. Yeah, at that, at, the, at that point. But I, but I think it's, you know, and, the, and this gets back to the self-awareness that you were bringing up before, right? That's so important to this whole situation because, you know, let's, let's, just, let's just take an analogy that's outside of business for a minute, just so again, people can kind of understand, right? But, sure. you know, as a little kid, I, I used to get bullied on the playground, right? I mean, kids used to grab my ears, call me Dumbo, because I had the same size ears that I have now when I was a little kid, you know? But, you know, a, a lot of times, you know, one of the sayings I've heard is hurt people hurt people, right? And so a lot of times the people who are the bullies, the people who are the bullies on the playground are probably getting bullied at home, right? They're, they're getting smacked around by their mom or dad. They don't know any different. That's just what they've been taught. Uh, on how you interact with other people. And so when they go to school, they do the same sorts of things that they've been taught to do. But, you know, how many bullies actually realize they're bullies, right? Everybody else is getting picked on. They're like, dude, quit it, right? You know, quit bullying me. But do the bullies actually realize that they are the bullies? And I, and I think that's kind of where you're where you're getting back to is that most people are like, oh, this applies to somebody else, or I've had all these shitty leaders myself, but mm -hmm. there's only those few people that are self-aware enough to go, oh, hold yeah. it, maybe like, this is me, right? I like to pose the question to people, are you self-aware? And most times everyone says, yeah, of course I am. And I'm like, how do you know? And then they struggle. And then I say, are you self-aware enough to know that you're self-aware? So when you ask people, what are you really good at? They can generally rhyme off a list. What are the areas that you need to improve upon? And of course, in some interviewers, old school, they'll use, tell me about your weaknesses. And of course, nobody has. My weakness is that I'm so awesome. Like, you know, like it's, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, I, and when I'm interviewed, I, they ask me what my weaknesses are. I say, I need to take a lesson in brevity. I talk too much, but usually have good things to say. And I'm much better at reading the room. So if you're falling asleep, I know I should probably shut up. Mm -hmm. something along those lines but you know most people are self. most people will think they're self-aware and most people want to claim they're self-aware but when you ask them to demonstrate how they know that that's where they struggle and so what I tell my clients and what I tell my consulting clients and my coaching clients is that your barometer of self-awareness is coupled with your ability to manage your frequency and your ability to manage your um, behaviors. So are you able to control how you react to things in real time? Do you easily fly off the handle? You're cut off in traffic. Do you freak out? And does that freak out ruin the rest of your day? So something happens. We're not defined what happens to us. We're defined by how we handle it. So I'm falling in line with that motto. So how do you handle things that come at you? Whether it's people, situations, your boss, your pets, your dog, your kids, whoever, your in-laws. People always laugh when I say in-laws. I don't know why. But anyway, so yeah, so how do you handle that shit that gets thrown at you? There's your barometer on how self-aware you are. Because in in with shitty leaders or in the workplace, 
or even in our personal life, we all know that person that's never wrong. It's never their fault. Mm-hmm. Never. Oh, I, I didn't do that. They did. If only. Well, and, and and so how how then do we become? Because I think I think it's good of, of what you're saying, right? I mean, I use I use trigger, right? So if something triggers you, or you responding, or you're reacting, I mean, it's same same kind of a thing, right? But mm-hmm. but you know, and so the better you are at obviously recognizing that then the more self-aware you probably are but but how how do we how do we how do we start becoming more self-aware as well right i mean because it's like it's chicken and egg kind of a thing right i mean it's it's i have a few steps that i can share so (laughs) i figured you probably did i would be happy to (laughs) So the first thing that I tell my, my coaching clients is I sort of use the premise of a get real list because I'm the coach. I'm the coach that I probably take on less than 50% of the people that approach me for coaching. And the reason why I'm very discerning is that, you know, I'm not a therapist. I don't diagnose any mental health issues, but if I feel that somebody needs more help than a coach can provide, then I would make a referral or I would give them some insights as to where I think they should go. But for me, I want to coach the people who want to get real, who are going to own this shit and are going to fix it because anyone that I take on that doesn't have that approach is going to blame me for when their coaching fails. And that doesn't sit with me because I'm a good coach and I want to help people. So I'm not going to waste their time and money or my time coaching someone who doesn't buy into what we're doing because there's homework, there's work. You're, you're peeling back 10, 15, 20, 25 years of bullshit that you have to weed through to get to that creamy center feeling of why you've become the way that you are. And so if that's something you want to change and you want to get through, for some people, therapy is required, right? Therapy takes that back lens for coaching. We ask questions and we take a forward lens. I don't need to ask what your relationship was with your dad. I need to know why you're weirdo today and you know why you do the things that you do. So for me, it's, it's very cut and dry. So when it comes to coaching, when it comes to self-awareness, the barometer is, the first place that I start is understanding, like my cat and and Deepak Chopra, the understanding of right versus kind. So do you have an insatiable need to be right? Do you like to prove people wrong? Who do you do that to? Do you do that at work? Do you do it at home? Well, if you're doing that to your significant other, isn't the whole purpose of being in a relationship to build each other up why do you want to prove your partner wrong because you just want to win that argument what's the point in that how is that being kind it's not it's being an asshole actually so it's that kind of discussion so we look at those barometers we look at right kind and that can sometimes take two or three sessions to get to that chewy center once they establish their insatiable need to be right which is generally a byproduct of what causes shitty leadership in the workplace, in other places, it could be shitty partner, shitty child, shitty parent, shitty wife, whatever. Then we look at and have a conversation about frequency. And so my summary of frequency, we all have one. Where are you at your best? So I tell people to visualize a road and there's no cars on this road. You're, you're walking in the middle of the road. So things come at you that will veer you off road. Some distractions, some assholes, a shitty boss, you know, the dog peed on the floor, whatever. And based on those triggers and based on those distractions, how do you react? And I I like to refer to them as energy vampires. So when the energy vampires come to feed, do you allow them to open a vein? 
And the whole crux of this and the whole wild epiphany, and we should put a drum roll in here, is that, thank you. You lose your frequency, which, which veers you off your self-awareness path. When you choose to make an emotional connection to the distraction. So someone calls me an asshole. Mark, you know what? You're a bit of an asshole. I stop and I think, and you know what? I'm like, mm, sometimes I can be. Um, was I intending to be an asshole? No. So I'm sorry that that's your experience. That wasn't my intent. Let's take a pause and figure out why, why that is your perception. So was I being honest? Was I being maybe a little too direct and I need to pull it back because you're ultra sensitive to this? Never my intention to do that. Sometimes you need to wake people up, but you want to wake them up in a way that's good for them because it's not about me. Welcome to leadership. It's not about me. Welcome to coaching. It's not about me because I'm good. I go home at the end of the day and I'm fine. But I say something out of context for someone that they don't get or they're really sensitive and that can ruin someone's day. And it's not my intention to incite the same reactions that should the leaders incite. So, but, you know, we do all those disclaimers at the beginning and I get an understanding of who they are and you know, how they like to, you know, receive feedback and how they like to be coached and all that kind of stuff. And then I do my best to individualize that and give it to them. And so when you make the awareness of your need to be right or your willingness to be kind, and you understand that barometer in every scenario of your life, and then you couple that with your road of frequency, and what are those energy vampires and those distractions? And what are you predisposed to make an emotional connection to? When you understand those areas of yourself, oh my God, all of a sudden the self-awareness starts to flourish. And I'm like, oh, okay, now I'm starting to get this. So then the third element of this is now you recognize the power of choice. Everything we do in life is a choice from the second you get up in the morning to the second you go to sleep at night. And I'm not talking about, I'm gonna wear this today, but that is a choice. But how you respond, how you react, how you feel, when people say I'm having a really shitty day, I'm like, how, why are you choosing that? Again, we're not defined by what happens to us. We're defined by how we handle it, which is part of our feelings, our thoughts, our behaviors, and our actions. So if you're in a downward spiral in your thoughts, you're going to feel like shit. So now do you need to feel it? Maybe you need to feel like shit. So I have a 20 minute rule. I catch myself sometimes and I have conversations with myself. People must think I'm always on the phone when I'm driving, hands-free because I'm constantly literally having conversations. Hey, Mark, how are you? Good, how are you? What's going on? I don't know, not much, you? Like I actually have conversations with myself because it helps me to remember when I'm making emotional connections that I've allowed to happen, someone did something, it incited me to react like a child. And now I'm, mm, I'm not gonna do that now. And we all have those moments. We don't necessarily talk about them or realize that we're having them, but it's like, hi, wake up, I'm alive. Let's live, let's have a life. So do I wanna spend those Debbie Downer moments or do I wanna fix whatever I'm feeling? Why did I make an emotional connection? Okay, here's why. Maybe I need to park that. Maybe I need to peel that back. Maybe I need to talk to this person about that. Okay, whoa, now I feel better. Now we'll go and do, now we'll go and live my life and do all the other things that are important. So I still have shitty moments. I still have those baby moments, but they're few and far between. But when shit happens that I've caused, I own it in a heartbeat, in a heartbeat, I own it. So that's where my self-awareness is at. Well, and I, think, uh, I think that's a great way to think, to, to think about it because the, the same way that you were kind of talking about it, uh, 
a lot of, a lot of times people do the same thing when it comes to emotional intelligence, right? It's like, oh yeah, my boss needs to be more emotionally intelligent, blah, blah, blah. Same kind of a concept as well, right? Where, where really we're the ones that need to be emotionally intelligent, emotionally mature, um, in, instead of it always projecting to somebody else, victim, victim, this victim, that you called me an asshole, Right. And, and, I, and I love what you what you talked about there with uh, the frequency and the energy vampires. So I haven't heard it referred to that way. I've a lot of times referred to it as like your personal power is leaking or you're allowing your power to leak out. Sure. But a vampire sucking it, you know, is, is a great analogy too, to where, you know, like you said, if, if, if I walked up to you and said, Mark, you're being an asshole. Right. Well, <laughs> I'm not going to do that because you're not being an asshole anyway. But yeah, sometimes you could be right. But, but, but when I do that, right, you could allow me to be that vampire and, and all of a sudden attach to that and start losing that frequency, start maybe getting angry with me or feeling shame or whatever else, right? These, these lower level frequency emotions that we end up feeling, you can get stuck in that area. And if you, if you do that, right, if you choose to, let's say, get angry, right, about it, then you're probably going to say something back to me because you're feeling like, well, no, I'm not an asshole and I'm going to be right. And Jason, I'm going to show you because I'm going to make some, I don't know, some comment about the way you're you're dressed or I don't know, right? Something to try to, to point it back to me to make me start feeling shitty about myself, right? Well, yeah, revenge, right? Yeah. It's like and, how people wanted to buy my book for revenge. I'm like, revenge marketing was not on my business plan, but I'm sure some people bought it too and then anonymously left it on someone's desk. So if that happened to anybody, I'm sorry, because that's a shitty way to get the book. Um, but if it helped, then maybe that's a good catalyst. But no, like, you know, eye for an eye mentality is so 80s. Like, it's just, to me, it's so silly. You know, it's like the, the you know, it's the equivalent of, I don't know, saying, come here, little lady, or get me a coffee, Becky. Like, who does that anymore? Like, that's to me, is just completely stupid. Um, and hopefully as a culture and a society, we've grown past all that and that people are able to get their own coffee now. But, yeah. you know, it's um, the, the energy vampire concept. Like, we all know, we all have that friend. We all have that friend that call display goes off and we're like, not today. I'm not in the headspace for that drama. And, you know, I have friends like that, but I've made the, I've made the connection to be able to accept them for who they are. And so when they call and they're a squealing howler monkey and they're like, it's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about me. I have set boundaries. Sometimes I articulate those boundaries and I'm like, Hey, um, I got 10 minutes to listen to what's going on then I got to go. And what I've learned to do and what I realized about myself back in the day was I would get so defeated. I would feel literally exhausted for five minutes of having a conversation with them because I could just feel they were sucking the life force out of me. So energy vampire, that's where that came from. And so from that perspective, I learned how to not make an emotional connection to what they were saying. So instead of bitching about them as a friend and saying, maybe I should cancel them as people still do today, which I don't do, or, you know, bitch at them to say, why are you always whining? I turn it around and I say, you need a shoulder? I'm here. What do you need? 
do you want me to listen or do you want advice? Do you want me to just shut up and let you vent? Or do you, are you looking for me to provide something? So those are the boundaries because sometimes people don't want you to say anything, right? An unsolicited opinion is a judgment. So it's like, well, if you ask me, I didn't shut up. I didn't ask you. I don't want to know. I have no desire. So I know for me, a lot of this stems from my own insecurities about my physical appearance. I've lost a lot of weight over the last 12 years, hundreds and hundreds of pounds. And um, I've gone from a 56 waist to a 32. And so, you, man. thank you. And so for me, it was, you know, when I would go to a party, when I was bigger, I would look and scan to see that I wasn't the largest guy in the room. And if I was, then I would make a fat joke because then if I'm making the joke at my expense, it's my joke. I'm not the brunt of the joke. I'm the cause of the joke. Whereas if there was somebody bigger than me, I'd want to be respectful. So I'd make a joke, but I'd make it about me. I didn't want to make it about them, but I always felt comfortable knowing I wasn't the largest guy in the room. And so it took a lot of therapy and a lot of coaching um, and a lot of years in, you know, getting lean and healthy and learning why I was obese and why I gained all that weight. And now I'm, honored to be able to help other people going through not i'm not a nutritionist and i'm not a personal trainer but i help the brain so i'm the psycho i'm that sort of analyst that helps i'm not an analyst but you know what i mean i help to analyze the reasons behind why they're still larger and then work to build the confidence and to build those emotional connections that they need to release in order to move it forward and when you work on the brain and you work on the mindset then you know, to me, that's probably the best diet that you can find. Well, it is. And, and especially if you take something like weight, you know, and my weight, especially the last 10 years, I was just thinking about this. I've gone up and down 60 pounds, you know, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth on some of the stuff. And, and, and especially, like you said, something like weight, it's not a food issue. It's usually a mindset issue. And there's, there's some reason why we're choosing to hold on to the weight that you have to get get to from a subconscious yeah. perspective but, is the comfort yeah it is the catalyst. And, yeah oh wow okay well and um so so i wanted to kind of go back to, to a couple things that, that we kind of touched on a little bit before because i, I want to make sure that this doesn't get lost on people too and maybe ask you some questions because you know i'm i'm a big one on the right versus kind kind of concept as well right i mean i'm i'm I, I, my intention is always to be kind instead of trying to be right. Now, I don't always do that, but that's my intention. But I think, you know, some people that, that hear that concept might say, but I'm the boss, I'm supposed to be right. And, and that's kind of what a, a lot of people get taught. And, and on the flip side, usually we're told, well, you're a weak leader if you're kind yes. to other people, right? So let's, let's just go into that because I know a lot of the people listening might be under that, that misconception. I, I call it a misconception. I think it is bullshit. You don't have to be an asshole to be successful in corporate leadership. But let's, let's kind of jump into that a little bit because I know that there are a lot of people that kind of feel like, but I have to act that way, even though it's not in my nature, I have to be that way at work to be successful. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, the, the baby boomer generation. Um, so that's what anyone pushing 60 plus now. Yeah. 
that are probably you know a few years away from retirement if they're not already retired. Um, that generation was built and predicated on the fact that the you know the men are the leaders and a leader is strong, which means the leader is masculine and he is you know all that toxic bullshit that we're all dealing with now kind of stuff, right? And so when you look at the fundamentals behind what that generation belief belief system was is that they had gender-based roles and the men were the leaders and the women were not and so those were the generations that you know the secretary got the coffee and all that kind of stuff right anyway the perceptions of behavior that are coupled with that generation is that men have to be strong and so you bark your orders you tell your subordinates what to do, and they don't challenge you. Shut the hell up, put your head down, and do this. Now, not every baby boomer, male, who is a leader is an asshole or shitty. We get that. So I'm not generalizing an entire generation of people. But in my experiences, and in my last 20 years of my career, I will tell you, the demographic of shitty leaders, if I go back 10 years ago, were 50-plus white males, in North America and Europe, where the highest component capacity of shitty, of the shittiest of shittiest leaders that I came across. And we're talking to a lot of people. So what does that mean? That's my research. Sorry if I've offended anybody, not sorry, but you know what I mean, right? And so I think gender bias plays a lot in that. I have had coaching sessions with many of these folks who denied white privilege existed, who denied that male stereotypes existed, who denied their testosterone was the reason why they were asshole leaders. Um, you know, and it is what it is, but at the end of the day, a lot of what I, the breakthroughs that I had with that group of folks was talking about their kids, talking about their children. Did you hug your kids when they were younger? You know, what if your child got injured, what would you do? You know, tell me about your relationship with your parents and are they still living? And when they passed, how did that feel? Oh, wait, so you're able to show emotion. Oh, but, you know, I can't tell you how many of that demographic would say, Mark, I like all the stuff you write about and talk about, but it sounds to me like it's more for, it sounds to me like it's more for chicks. I'm like, did you really just use that term with me? <laughs> what, you want me to go to a farm? Is that what you're talking about? Or they'd say, I don't do touchy-feely. And I'm like, you do touchy-feely every time you watch a movie, every time your sports team wins, every time your daughter scrapes her knee and you need to kiss her boo-boo better, every time your dog almost gets run over by a car. I know I'm going into dramatic effect here, but these people, predominantly men, who claim not to do touchy-feely, what they're saying is, I'm terrified to be vulnerable at work because I'm supposed to be a certain way. And herein lies the problem. Herein lies the problem. Now, some industries, I know financial services is very cutthroat, and I've had guys say to me, if I start asking my employees how they feel, I'm going to get fired. And I'm like, well, maybe your boss needs to be fired then. Because maybe that's the problem. So this is systemic. Systemic shitty leadership is a part of the global epidemic right now that I know we just got over one. But I wrote about a global epidemic of shitty leadership in 2017, three years before COVID was even a word. So, you know, it's, it's fascinating to me, but I actually haven't thought about that piece in quite a while. But, you know, that's been my experiences is that there is a fundamental gender bias with, you know, a certain age group of male leaders who believe that showing emotion and saying, 
how do you feel about that? Or let's talk about that. Or what can I do better to help you be a better or a successful employee? Or let's talk about how those things make you feel so that I can customize my approach so that at the end of the day, the work gets done. Because isn't that the ultimate goal? The work gets done and you have happy, aligned, motivated, and inspired employees. I don't see why that's a problem. So I've converted some. Some didn't want to hear it. Um, but that's been my general feel is that, you know, when you go to the highest level of leadership and, you know, when you're an employee, we sit and do our jobs and we look up to see what good looks like. Mm -hmm. If good isn't there, what do you do? Well, you just, you, you become like the bully on the playground, right? You only do what you have been taught to do. Absolutely. <clears throat> and to me, what I think too is, is, you know, like you said, I mean, it's really since the Second World War and a lot of the militaristic carryover into corporate America and, you know, yes. you know, men, men are men and, you know, women are women kind of a thing. I mean, all this gender bias and everything that, that you were talking about, it's a carryover from a lot of the, you know, military training that a lot of these people have that the generations just had, because again, you go back to baby boomer, a little less so but especially the greatest generation very very much you know man goes out and gets the job and the yes. woman stays at home and raises the kids right um but but i think too what's what's what i've seen happening as well too because you know obviously like you said the shittiest of all shitty leaders happen to be or have been you know baby boomer greatest generation old white males right yes but what i've seen too is is a lot of women and minorities in yes. a lot of these organizations as well who are trying to keep up or trying to emulate or be that kind of a leader, they're guilty of a lot of the same behaviors, but to, to them, it's, it's even more damaging from a cognitive, uh, uh, sorry, it's cognitive bias, but it's the, uh, I was trying to remember the, the right psychological term where cognitive dissidents, oh, where, yeah, okay. where, right. You, they, they know they feel like they have to show up at work that way, but they're literally programmed differently. Right. I mean, men that are, that are, you know, quit being a pussy, you know, if you get hit, if you fall down or whatever. Right. I mean, we, that's how I was raised. Right. right. So, so for us, that becomes a part of identity of men are supposed to be tough. But, you know, I, I see this especially damaging a lot of women as well, who that's, it's not their nature and they weren't taught to be that, but yet they feel like they have to show up that way at work and yes. it's killing them inside, right? Because, because they don't have that, that core identity belief that a lot of the men do that are doing these things. So I don't know there's, if you've had experience with that or how, how that. Well, there's, you know, it's funny. So if I was to you know, I don't want your listeners to think I'm ragging on, you know, my generation, but, um, well, I'm actually a little younger than that. So technically I'm not a baby boomer, but yeah. anyway, um, when it comes to, um, you know, the overarching effect of shooting leaders, um, millennials play a part in this as well. And so I raised two millennials. So, you know, I'm going to rag on millennials for a bit, but, you know, because yeah, there are kids right well millennials to me are the generation now my kids are not like this but millennials were the generation that graduated you know four years of university with a degree in 
I don't know, history and thought they were going to get $100,000 year jobs doing something, right? These are also the same people that ended up then getting a job in call centers. So they were the ones that would come into my call center that I was, you know, either director or VP of. And they would get disciplined for a team by a team leader. Now they would have been disciplined in a way that was effective for them. But, you know, Johnny didn't like the fact that his, you know, three year younger than him team leader had to give him stats that were not where they need to be. And so the next day, 27 year old Johnny, I'm, I'm making up his name, by the way, I'm not actually gonna get on someone named Johnny, but 27 year old Johnny brought his mommy into work to yell at me. Because of, she didn't like how his son was disciplined. And I'm like, let me guess, Johnny got like participation awards for like finishing 29th place at school, right? Yeah. So it's that byproduct. So it's like one end of the spectrum to the other. You've got the baby boomers who were militant. And then you got the millennials who their leadership skills are like, let's all sit by the campfire and sing Kumbaya. I know Johnny's a bit of a dick and, you know, expects, you know, a $200,000 your salary and mommy comes in to bitch about things, but no, where's the backbone? It's like the baby boomers have too much backbone and the millennials in this scenario don't have enough. And so it's finding that balance. So it's those conversations and that level of feedback that I try to wake up the world and say, wait a minute, you know, be happy you woke up today and that you're breathing and that you have a job and that you have a place to live and all of those things that so many of us take for granted some points in life. And it's like, when are you ever, ever, when were you ever told that life was fair? When were you ever told that you have an entitlement to something or that you deserve something more than someone else? Whatever happened to hard work and getting your shit together and not living your life as some big drama that everyone gives a crap about? Because no one does. Just go and live your life have your thoughts, you know, don't steal from people, you know, all those good things that we're supposed to do yeah. that so many don't, but then expect everything to come at them for nothing. And that kind of shit irks me because, you know, I work for what I have and I like helping people work for what they have. And, you know, we can joke about it and, and all that stuff, which, you know, I think sometimes we have to, um, because the world is a funny place these days, but yeah. You know, I think some people take themselves far too seriously when it comes to all of this stuff. And, you know, my get real list is, you know, right versus kind, self-aware, understand your frequency and then own it. And most things that used to bother you will be water off a duck's back as it should be. And who cares? Live your life and be kind to the point where you help others. But it's, it's that dichotomy of selfish versus selfless. You know, and I say, you should be putting yourself first. I say it to parents that do everything for their children. Up until I was 42 years old, I did everything for everyone else. I was 109th on a list of 100 people. I didn't give a shit about myself. I didn't care. So when you change your thinking and you change your approach, whether it's leadership or not, you put yourself first and you do selfless acts. You treat yourself kind. Learning how the difference between kind and right or right and kind is learning how to be kind to yourself first. That's the key to all of this is that you're allowed to say no. You're allowed to have boundaries. You're allowed to say that doesn't work for me, but I'm willing to do this. You're allowed to do all that, but people forget. And then we believe in society and think that, you know, we all have to, you know, have the 2.2 kids and the two and a half dogs and who's got the biggest yard. It's the competition bullshit that I'll end on. The only person you should ever be competing with is you. Did I have a better day today than I did yesterday? 
when people get rid, and that's part of the get real list as well. When you drop the competition nonsense, all that stuff stops mattering. His lawn's greener than mine. Who cares? <laughs> Great. Congratulations. Be happy for them. Because if their lawn, if the color green of their lawn is so important to them, then support that and congratulate them for having the greenest lawn in the world. Congratulations. Yeah. Well, and I'm glad that you brought that up too about, about the, the selfless, you know, kind of view of it and, 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 because I think, you know, again, that hurt people hurt people yeah, sort of that. thing. Mm -hmm. that, yeah, that, that so much of the time, and this is where, you know, it's something I'm still working on. But, you know, we, none of us love ourselves as much as we think we do. In fact, most of us hate ourselves. Because when you think about the self-talk that we do to ourselves. Right. And it's like, would you talk like that to a little child? Would you talk like that to the person you love? Right. Whoever your partner is. Yeah. But yet we, we, we talk that way to ourselves all the time. And I think a lot of times, you know, like that, if, if, if we're not, if we're not coping, if we're, if we're hurting other people, it's because we're hurting ourselves and, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's like that vampire reaction that we were talking about before, right? If, if I call you an asshole and you take it out on me, the only reason you're doing that is because you're hurting because you're choosing to hurt that way, right? And, and, and somehow I would have triggered something in you that really, if you were self-aware, if you were emotionally mature, it wouldn't really matter what I said, right? It's like that whole little playground thing. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I don't know how many times I sang that to myself as I was getting bullied on the playground. You know, it's like, well, words still fucking hurt, but this hurts know. when it ends up in my cheek. <laughs> right. But but the better that we can get, you know, at being more self-aware, yeah. Then then the stuff like you said, it just rolls off us like water off a duck's back. Yeah. It's deflection or reflection, right? Like that to me is, that's how I look at it is, you know, a lot of people will deflect things because let's face it, you know, so Dr. Brene Brown, who I absolutely adore, I got to see her live a couple of years ago in Toronto. Um, she did a Ted talk in 2010 and she on vulnerability. I'm sure you've seen it. I'm sure you're aware of it. And I have watched this a gazillion times um, I created a whole program based on that, that I've done with clients before where, you know, we break it down and she talks about vulnerability and the fear of being vulnerable and the fear of connection. And it's, it's just a brilliant piece of work. So I sing her praises. I bow. Um, but anyway, you know, that vulnerability piece really resonated. That I just resonated with me. It was life-changing and I love it when people get it because vulnerability and this is the key with those you know with with most of my shitty leaders that i coach and support is that they are they are born and educated to believe that vulnerability is a weakness and so i'm you know innovative disruption and all of the stuff that i preach about and that i do is about turning vulnerability into a strength because the commonality amongst the non-shittiest non of leaders is that vulnerability was a strength. Yeah. 
They were okay to say, you're so much better at this than I am. Why wouldn't I let you do this? Or you should take the credit and the glory because you did all the research, you did all the work. Or you know what? I say this at work all the time. I have no idea what you're talking about, but let's sit down together and figure it out. I have no idea what that process is. So let's sit down, tell me what you need. How can I help? What do you need? Do you need me to call someone? Do you need me to do something? You know, I do pivot, I'm the pivot table guy. So I do pivot tables in Excel. And most <laughs> I of still can't do that. <laughs> so my, 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 my team will, will call, say, hey, can you put a pivot table on this for me? And I'm like, absolutely, I'd love to. I love being in a position where I can do those things for my folks because, you know, and some people put so much weight on titles and I think it's so stupid. You know, why is the director doing that? And I'm like, because I know how to do it. And listen, not only will I do it for you, but book some time and I'll show you how to do it because I can teach people how to do a pivot table in 10 minutes. So, you know. So it's, it's that kind of stuff. And, you know, some people look at me like I'm absolutely out of my tree. Why would you do that? Why wouldn't I change your thinking? Why wouldn't I help you? Why wouldn't I do that? I don't have an answer for that because there's no reason that I shouldn't do that. That makes me a better leader. That just makes me a nice person. That makes me not being an asshole. Like from the time you called me an asshole, remember? <laughs> Which for the record, I never did. No. But you know uh, what? Like I said earlier, sometimes I am. Well, sometimes I am too, right? And yeah, so okay. it's 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 the same thing. But no, I, I I love that you brought brought up Brene Brown too, because I, you know, authenticity is something that's important to me as well. And and it's sure. it's one of those paradigms that we've just got to get through to people, because because I remember saying something to the effect of you know every time somebody does a courageous act. They're being vulnerable. Right. And to be vulnerable takes courage. And instead, you know, so much of the world thinks that, you know, authenticity, being vulnerable is weakness, right? Yeah. But, but it takes a tremendous amount of courage to actually put yourself into a vulnerable situation. Absolutely. And, um, and so, yeah, it is. And like you said, I think, you know, kind of come in full circle a lot of times you know it's it's that lack of self-awareness it's the lack of allowing ourselves to be vulnerable because we we've been taught that macho bullshit that you know we have to be right you know ho, 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 you know kind of a thing and we just gotta let that go and Absolutely. and kind of move forward so mark this has been amazing man i uh yes. i like you i like you it's uh it's it's i could sit and do this all day and so could yeah, probably everybody who's listening to but i know they, they're fast. gonna have to get back so any um parting uh parting uh, uh comments that we didn't get to and and how people can reach out to you as well sure just wanted to thank you for not making fun of my canadian accent so there was i really was trying not to do I, I didn't even hear an a yeah, I was trying to really avoid that, but uh, I can now I'm, you know, authentically speaking, I, now I don't have to worry about it anymore. Yeah. Um, I am, uh, if you go to shittyleaders.ca, you can find what I do. You can find me. That's probably the best and easiest way to do it. Um, and yeah, I love hearing from people. I love having conversations with people. Um, my books are, I've got a Facebook group as well. Um, we've been a little quiet these days because there's some fun book changes coming in the next few months. So uh, stay tuned for more details on that. Um, but ultimately, at the end of the day, um, shootingleaders.ca is probably the best way to find me. All right, perfect. Well, hey, Mark, it's, uh, yeah, you're one of those people, you'll probably have to 
come back for a repeat too because i know there's okay. exciting stuff going on in your life too so i want to let people you invite know me i will come you once, invite me I will come. once it comes back so all right awesome. appreciate it thank you this has been great thank you and that's a wrap thanks for listening the fact that you listened to this entire episode means you got value and others will too do me a favor and leave a five-star review with comments and then share with others. You can also check out all of my videos on my YouTube channel and my website, jasonmefford.com. This podcast is primarily for education and commentary and does not represent professional advice. Views and opinions expressed on this show are that of the individuals and not of their respective organizations.